of Abraham. He came from what was known as a Semite. A Semite was part of the Mesopotamia Empire. His immediate ancestors were most probably pagan idol worshippers. People who worshipped what was known as the moon god. And I was talking with Nath this week and he was talking about, do you know what the name of the moon god was called? Sin. It's a bit ironic, I think. Here we have a picture of the God who will. The God who will, who calls out Abraham. It's this picture of a God who comes and does what he wills. The God who wills calls out Abraham, calls him out. And this God is the God Jehovah, the one who has always existed. The one Abraham has not necessarily known of, and now he is called out to follow him. And here we got this picture. What Abraham has done, as he's been called out, is not just to call out, it's to call out to something. Abraham is called out to leave. Leave all you know. Leave your family. That is a significant statement in the ancient Near East. To leave your identity and ultimately to say, hey, I have a plan. I want you to go to the land that I will show you. A land that's not chosen by Abraham. Because in that time and age, they would go around and do wars and try to figure out how to get their own land. God is the one who will show it. Because God is the one who will. Because God has a plan. My friends, we'll see this. At this moment, it's just like a glimpse of a man. He doesn't have all the details. He's just been told to go. We have this picture of faith coming out of the faith of a man who goes. And maybe he didn't fully comprehend, and maybe as you unpack Genesis, you'll see that. Here is a moment where God calls. Abraham hears his command to go, leave. Leave everything you have. And Abraham responds, and he leaves in faith. Now, we sit on the other side of all of these stories. We're very, very spoiled people, aren't we? we've got the full counsel of God. We've got the whole Bible in front of us. To understand the fullness of this, the author in Hebrews up here on the screen writes this and talks about it in chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he would later receive as an inheritance. As he went out without understanding where he was going, faith, that is belief, and obedience, they're tied together. This is this picture that's shown. He went out. He didn't have full understanding, but he was called to obey. Friends, this is important to understand that faith is connected with obedience. They're tied together. You can't separate the two. You can't just say you believe in God, but you also need to obey. And what we're going to see constantly in the life of Abraham over the next few weeks is this. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not here to tell you, and you'll see soon, Abraham hasn't got it all together. We need to understand the main person in this is the Lord who will, the God who is sovereign, the God who is in control, the one who is calling Abraham out, the one who promises. Now, I don't know if you picked something in the verses that we just read. If you have a pen, this is the point where you would circle something. In those verses that we just read about Abraham's call, who's doing it? God. God is the one. God is the one who says, I will. I'm going to give you this land. God is the one who says, you'll be a great nation. I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you. God is the one who will do it. 
And when he says, God says, I will make your name famous, that's the literal way that it's described here. Your name will be so famous. Why? Is Abraham going to be made famous so that he can have an Instagram account now and he can have lots of followers and as he's going through the desert taking photos and selfies with his camels and family so that people can say, wow, that's amazing. And we get FOMO, you know? No. There's a reason. There's a, there's a a reason for it. It's shown in verse 2 that they will be a blessing, that he will be a blessing. Uh, The idea is that the people of God in Abraham, through this whole story of Israel, they are called to be a blessing to others. This is the picture that God is saying, but he's the one who's going to do it. It's his work. The idea that Abraham will be a blessing to others is a fascinating thing, and throughout now the Old Testament, this is the thing that we'll start seeing being revealed and in the life of Abraham. And because God has made, and using biblical language, has made a covenant, has made a promise, if you can imagine that God is tying himself to Abraham, he's saying, I will bless you, but because I'm with you, because I'm your God, Abraham, there's going to be consequences for those who don't bless you. Those who don't bless you, well, it's not going to go well for them. Those who curse you will be cursed. Uh, The idea is here that because God has made a promise, has made a covenant with Abraham, God is the one who says, I must do this. This is the consequence of those who don't bless you. Because ultimately, they're not blessing me. It's all connected together. And the point of this blessing is not actually just for Abraham. God actually now says it's part for the whole world. All of the nations. That all of the nations will be blessed through Abraham. And this language is not just about some sort of land and property. It's not about him just enriching his life and getting sort of a bit of a portfolio of land and property for himself. No, this is him. The whole purpose of this is God's divine plan that Abraham would be the one that God would use to bring his great plan. So you'd see this come out later on in Genesis as we unravel this. This picture of God blessing him and others who bless him will be blessed and others who curse him will be cursed and you know what you see that and we're going to start seeing that as we explore the life of abraham as abraham comes in contact with other groups of people other nations those who curse they're cursed those who fight they lose those who all this picture is unraveled for us as god's promises are shown because god is the one who will and in his own lifetime, we will see this. But friends, I don't know if you, if you read this, please don't miss the big idea here. Who's the one who doing, who's doing it? Who's the one who promises that he will do it? God will. There's a Colin Buchanan song about that. God is the one who will do it. Now, if you want to kind of summarize it in this statement, this blessing that God says, this promise, God says God will make... God will bless, God will make, God will bless, and God will curse. God is the one who will. God is the one who will keep his promises. God is the one who will do it. 
Now, Abraham responds, and he goes, and he heads off in obedience. And God is the one who shows and leads him. But this picture is constantly shown to us that despite of who Abraham is, he doesn't get it all together. But that is the story of God. It's a picture of God showing his steadfast love, showing his gracious love. He's a God who works in the brokenness, and we'll see that in the life of Abraham. I mean, that's the story all of Genesis starting. This is the God who pursued Adam and Eve in their rebellion. This is the God who, in, in Cain and Abel, spared the life of a man who killed his own brother. This is the God who could have wiped the whole world and started again, but spared the life of who? Noah, a model character? Well, actually, after the whole experience, the storyline says he got drunk and got naked. This is the God, just before in Genesis 11, a whole group of people in one language declare, you know what? We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to be somebody. And God sees, and in his mercy scatters them abroad. That's not the way you get to God. This is the God who calls a man who wasn't necessarily looking for him from a family of idol worshippers and makes a promise and covenant. This is the God who will, and this is the God who does. Do you know that the story of grace doesn't all of a sudden appear in the New Testament? It is filtered in every page of the Bible. What we're seeing, friends, is a God who works with messed up people who haven't got it together. People like you and me. I don't know about you, that is deeply encouraging. Now, you've got one of these little maps that was handed out to you. This is where you might, if you're a bit of a visual person, you can sit there and look at the map and see where Abraham's heading off to. We're going on a bit of a tour with Abraham. So starting in Genesis 12, verses 4 to 9. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land, to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Mohrah, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. But Bethel on the west and I on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. And what we have here is a little bit of a tour. If you look at the map there, you've got those names there. You can circle it if you want, or you can put a dotted line and see he'll trace it out for you. It's a bit of a tour of Canaan. That's what's going on. These are places in Canaan. Now, God has just promised him, you'll get this land. And what happens? He arrives, and he's like, hey, oh, it's occupied. This is going to be a bit of a problem. There's no sort of a land grab moment going on here. It's occupied. But here is God who comes and appears to him. I mean, this is the first time in, in Genesis, in, in this verse 70, the Lord appears. Now, we don't have what exactly that looks like. The point is that God shows up and says again to Abraham, Hey, listen, Abraham, I promise you, your descendants will receive this land. 
Now remember, Abraham hasn't got kids yet. Okay, he's 75 years old. Uh, this is before temple worship. This is before uh, Levite priests. This is before the law. And so what Abraham does is he creates a space, an altar, to signify the God that he's encountered. And it's this picture of God showing as Abraham is there. God is saying, I'm with you. I will do this. Don't worry. I've got this. And it's this moment again. There's this wonderful picture in verse 8. There's none sort of response from God. God is there with Abraham. Abraham, what does he do? He cries out to God. And once again, he sets in place altar. It's a place of a man who sees what's in front of him, who's crying out to God, and God shows up and promises and says, I'm with you, because I'm the Lord who will. And it's all wonderful, great. And then you come up to Genesis 12, verses 10 to 20. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there. The famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah's wife, I know that your woman, beautiful in appearance. When the Egyptians see you, they, say, they, will, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham. And he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah. And said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now when now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you are talking to someone and they are making, uh, communicating to you the plan that they have, and you're listening to them and you're thinking to yourself, this is a really horrible idea. Okay? I don't know if you've picked that up here. This is that moment, right? This is the man who's left everything behind, who has heard the word, voice of God, who's met God, has experienced God in his presence, and a famine comes in the area. In some sense, a bit of self-preservation, perhaps. Uh, he's been promised that there's going to be a lineage. Maybe he thinks to himself, what can I do to sort this out? And some other ways of putting it is it's almost like there's a lack of faith, or others have said it's like a crisis of faith for Abraham. This is the man, all of a sudden, who has heard who God says, I will. And all of a sudden, Abraham says, no, no, God, I will. No, no, God, I will. God has already promised to him a few times. There's a famine. And the storyline of Egypt is not a good thing for the Israelites. If they're listening to the story, they're not going, oh, why is he going back to Egypt? Horrible people. Why? What's going on? And here we have this moment where this man literally, in a sense, says, here, I will. I'll take care of it. To protect himself. I don't know if you picked that up. He's not necessarily saying, oh, look, I want to protect you. But really, it's really to protect myself. He walks up to Sarah, and if you can just imagine the conversation, and says, hey, Sarah, hey, look, you are a beautiful woman, right? You're so good looking, but that's a problem if we go to Egypt. So I was wondering if you could help a brother out, right? 
can you, can you pretend to be my sister? And in some sense, some would argue he's sort of saying a half-truth if you kind of look at the line of stuff, but he's doing something very wrong. And here is Pharaoh. Here's the news about this beautiful woman. And to, her, to him, it's just another one to add. It's like property. How's that shown? Let's trade. And what I find fascinating is Abraham doesn't say, oh, no, 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 that's fine. He says, okay. And he actually works out really well for him to get all the things that he did. It's a significant bit of a trade. This is the moment, if this was one of those interactive movies, if you're with Abraham, you'd say, what are you doing? Stop! This is a really bad idea. You're being a fool. But what I find amazing is, despite of this man's foolishness, God is at work. God's plans cannot be stopped. God will achieve his plans. And God actually shows grace that he actually protects Sarah. Sarah is not having any kids. Most probably she had to sleep with this Pharaoh. Not only that, she's protected. And then there's disease that's given to the Pharaoh. And if you were Israelite listening to this, you would have probably gone, yes. But this is God showing his judgment. This is some of the actions of the, the promises that God made to Abraham being shown to us. Because even in the ancient Near East, if you were someone who took somebody else's wife and slept with them, even in Egypt, the writings say that they're actually punishable by death. And God is mercy, protects Sarah, rescues her. And you would think in this moment, the Pharaoh, if you were in his shoes, has every right to say, we're done. Executioner, come. Take these two and kill them. He doesn't even go and say, hey, listen, uh, you know that stuff that we traded? Can we have a refund, please? The way it's written literally, Pharaoh says to Abram, here, wife, take, go. It's a statement of get out of here. Friends, who is the one who has not got this right? Abram, the one who says to God, God, I've got this. Let me sort this out myself. Yet God is the one who is gracious in the midst of that. Despite of Abram's foolishness, not only does he save Abram, he saves Sarah. And there's a blessing that I just, I just comprehend. They, they walk away with more than they came in with. It's a famine. God keeps his promise. God is the one who will. The God is the one who always has. He curses those who curse and he blesses those who will bless. God is not the one who's dropped the ball. Abraham has. Friends, when we read these kind of stories, I think our temptation is to say, who am I? And I know that we all desire to be the hero and maybe in a sense we'll put Abraham, maybe you've grown up in a tradition that put Abraham as a pedestal and say, be like Abraham. In this moment, I'd probably say, don't be like Abraham. It's not a good idea. Friends, the story of Abraham is a reminder to you and I that God is the one who will. God is the one who will keep his promise and covenant because he's the God who always has. I'm so thankful for that. I'm not sure if you are. God is the one who will always defend Abraham despite of Abraham. God is the one who will bless Abraham, as he said he would, 
God is the one who says the nations will be blessed and he will and we'll unpack that in a few minutes because God said he will. Friends, what we see is a man as you're looking at the life of Abraham over the next few weeks. Be encouraged. He is a man of faith. But he's a fumbling man of faith who often doesn't get it right. I'm not sure about you. I can relate with that. See, for many years... Abraham had to watch to see if this promise would ever be fulfilled. And we'll see in time, it feels almost like, is this really going to happen? And before you and I roll our eyes at, at Abraham and are tempted to say, oh, Abraham, well, I'd never do that. Friends, is there anything going on in your life right now where your temptation and my temptation is to say, God, I've got it. Look, I know, I know, I've heard, I've heard it before, I've heard it in the Bible, that you say you'll never leave me or forsake me. Yeah, I've read that before, I know it, I've sung songs about it. Lord, I know that, that you say that you will provide. I know, I've read that verse. But, but listen, let me take care of it. I've got it. Friends, that happens even for us today, doesn't it? where our temptation is to take matters into our own hands, what I find amazing is that God still works in that to achieve his ultimate plan. See, this is a true story. A true story that happened. A story that says that God will do his plan despite of us because he still is the God who will. Friends, the story of Abraham is much more than about land. It's actually the greatest story, the greatest story ever. It's the story of a God who says he will promise the nations, that he will bless the families of the earth. How? How is he going to bless the families of the earth? Are we all going to sell our homes now and move to Israel? Is that the plan? Friends, it says here, the families of the earth will be blessed in you. This has always been God's plan. This is how God has done it. This is God's driving force to ultimately reveal something. See, many years later, a Jewish follower of Jesus who would write the Gospel of Matthew would start it like this. This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, God's plan of blessing the nations through the seed of Abraham would ultimately be fulfilled and shown in Jesus Christ. That he would send his son just as he said he would. I mean, we've been exploring the Gospel of John. Do you remember when Jesus is questioned, are you greater than Abraham? What did he say? I am. This is God's purpose. This is God's fulfillment. This is showing and revealing. This is the one who knew for the nations to be truly 100 blessed. It's not about a land. It's actually with a relationship with the living king. The one who came. The one who came to this world. The one who would die on a cross. This is the one in all of his life. Although he had full authority in a sense to do whatever he wished. 
His whole life was perfectly lived by saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. There's nothing stronger places displayed in that garden when Jesus is about to face the most worst suffering ever possible. And he says, Father, if you're willing. He doesn't take it and do it himself. He says, no, no, your will be done and he's crucified. And on the third day, he's raised again. But you know what? The story doesn't end there, friends. The story continues. This passage is quoted over and over again in the New Testament. For the followers of the disciple of Jesus by the name of Peter, as he's addressing in Acts, would say to the people in front of them, you are the, prophet, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant with God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is a picture of God's wonderful plan being poured out and shown and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That he had come to bless. How was he going to bless them? By setting up a national state as they thought he would? No, he's calling them to turn away from their wickedness. But it didn't just start with the Jewish nation. The Apostle Paul was confronted with this idea of faith and works. And in Galatians he would write, Know then that this is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. That's all of us who are non-Jewish. By faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is God's wonderful plan. Meaning that faith in Jesus is the ultimate blessing. Friends, that story still continues for you and I today, doesn't it? How? Well, Christian friends, for you and I to understand, you and I have actually now become part of God's plan. We're part of His family because of Christ. And every follower of Jesus cannot be like those of past and even that now attempted to be sort of this inward-looking group of people. Just because you've been given eternal life, you can't keep it to yourself. Now you've been called to go. Share, love, serve, proclaim. Or have we become comfortable? Friends, this is why we exist. This is why we are here. And maybe that's not even you. You're like, sure, I do share Jesus with people. What's going on in your life right now, the temptation is to say to God, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Maybe God's asking you to surrender to him and say, Lord, if you're willing, will you take care of it? Not my will, but yours be done. And friends, if you don't know Jesus, we want to invite you to explore this God of Abraham as we discover him. We would invite you to explore how Abraham was waiting for this Messiah one day, this son, Jesus Christ. He has come. You know what? You will not find salvation and security in your material wealth or being just a good person or even being in a Christian family. You need someone to save you. And he has come to save you. The terms are written by him, not you and me. He's the one who says he will. He invites you to call out like Abraham did. 
to God. So this week, Christian friend, maybe a simple thing you can ask is, Lord, who's one person I can bless this week? With my words, with my actions, because of what you've given me. Maybe if it's that very person that's cursed you on social media because they don't like you of your faith. Are there areas in your life right now that you need to say, Lord, rather than saying, Lord, my will, Lord, I ask you, what is your will? Let your will be done. Friends, God is the one who will. God is the one who has. Jesus is the one who will. And Jesus is the one who has. I'm going to invite the music team as they come as we sing the last song. Let me pray.